This is Mike Nesmith. You may not know who I am, but... This is not one of your standard brands. Let's don't uh, waste the joy on mirth. Yeah, well, that could have been your face. Where's That Sound Coming From podcast presents Questions But No Answers. Preserving and celebrating the musical legacy of Michael Nesmith. This is episode three, All the King's Horses. I think you're just gonna have to listen louder. This song was written by Mike Nesmith, who's perhaps best known as being one of the monkeys, but he was also a good songwriter. Hello and welcome to Questions But No Answers. I'm your host, Brian Marchese. This episode focuses on a Nesmith-penned song about which there are two facts that, to me, seem hard to fathom. The song is All the King's Horses, and the two facts are, one, that this song, which seems as tailor-made for the first season of the Monkees TV show as any Boyce and Hart song, was not written to order upon any request for a simple pop tune for the TV show by the powers that be, but actually predates Mike having even become a monkey. And two, that this song, which is as bubblegum poppy as anything Mike ever wrote, nursery rhyme, lyric, and all, and which is among the best of the early Monkees output, wasn't on either of the first two Don Kirshner-produced Monkees LPs and didn't even get an official release until 1990's wonderful compilation, Missing Links, Volume 2. So the big question for this episode, to which I have no definitive answer, is simply, why? Why wasn't it at least a B-side? I can only guess that it came down to business, quotas, contracts, politics, and other headache-making factors. A related question would be, I wonder if this simple pop-by-numbers number was ever considered or even rehearsed for the first few Monkees live shows in late 66 and early 67. I bet they could have thrashed through it in their endearingly sloppy way. But again, I have no idea. And one last question with no answer is, why wasn't this song just sold to another artist? Maybe I'm crazy, but I could totally hear Herman's Hermits doing this one. However, I do know that All the King's Horses, along with The Kind of Girl I Could Love, were the first Nesmith compositions to appear on a Monkees episode. Episode 5, to be exact, titled The Spy Who Came In From The Cool. Now, this episode actually featured two of Mike's songs, the other being The Kind of Girl I Could Love. However, I'm sorry to say that that is not a song that I've chosen to feature on Questions But No Answers, so if you're a fan of that one, I apologize. I had to skip over some tunes for one reason or another. Anyway, The Spy Who Came In From The Cool was first aired in the U.S. on the evening of October 10th, 1966, and to its viewers, this is what our featured song sounded like. Morning, 
this is what I found You had gone and left me And you never even made a farewell sound All the king's horses and all the king's men They couldn't put my broken heart back together again I asked your friends about you this is what they said She can't live without you She's gonna find a man with money instead Now all the king's horses and all the king's men They couldn't put my broken heart back together again Someday you will know The meaning of a love that's true version is listed as All the King's Horses Mono TV version and can only be found on the limited edition Super Deluxe Edition box set of the Monkees' debut album released on Rhino Handmade in 2014. However, as I mentioned before, the first time All the King's Horses actually appeared on an official Monkees product was in 1990 when it was the first track on the amazing Essential Collection Missing Links Volume 2. I personally rank that compilation along with the Velvet Underground's equally essential VU as far as being phenomenal collections of songs that you just can't believe were left in the vaults for a couple of decades. I might mention this again, but Missing Links 2 is among the first four compact discs I ever owned. The other three? Why, thought you'd never ask. Sonic Youth's Goo, Morrissey's Bone a Drag, and Where the Pyramid Meets the Eye, a tribute to Rocky Erickson. So now you know where my head was at at 17. At 17 I learned Missing Links 2 is also a showcase for Nez's songwriting, with not just this song, but You Just May Be The One, TV version, The Crippled Lion, Some of Shelley's Blues, St. Matthew, and the live version of Circle Sky. I mean, come on! In any case, I won't bother playing the version that appears on Missing Links 2 because it's basically the same as the TV version as far as the backing tracks go, and just has a more fleshed out vocal arrangement. Like, you can hear Peter in the chorus, and there's some nice call-and-response vocals and some nice ooze in the verses. The basic tracks were recorded at RCA Studio A in Hollywood on June 25, 1966. As this was the first phase of the Monkees, when Don Kirshner held the title of musical supervisor-slash-dictator, the Monkees were only allowed to sing but not play on their recordings. However, Mike more or less threatened to walk away from the Monkees if he wasn't able to not just contribute his own songs, but to produce the sessions for his songs as well, despite having no prior production credits to his name. Pretty ballsy mandate, Mike. Kirshner wasn't thrilled, to say the least, but Rafelson and Schneider liked Mike's material, and thought having a monkey in a creative role could add some depth, realness, and credibility to the show and to the recordings. Mike was placated enough. 
He was still six months away from demanding that the four monkeys be in complete creative control. And so this July 25th session was Mike's first time calling the shots from the producer's chair. The session players he hired for the three-song 7pm to midnight session were prime Wrecking Crew players. Al Casey, James Burton, and Glenn Campbell on guitars, Hal Blaine on drums, Gary Coleman, the percussionist, not the actor, and Jim Gordon on percussion, and either Larry Nechtel, Bob West, or Don Peake on bass. So those are the musicians who played on that session, which again consisted of three songs. All the King's Horses, The Kind of Girl I Could Love, and Mike's buddy Bill Chadwick's great folk rocker, Of You, which remained unreleased until 1988's Missing Links Volume 1. I'm not sure who is and isn't on each of those three songs, but I'm pretty sure All the King's Horses doesn't have three bass players on it. A few weeks later, on July 16th, a vocal session was held for both All the King's Horses and The Kind of Girl I Could Love, for which Mike had all four monkeys appear as vocalists in an early attempt at presenting a group sound. This mono TV mix is great in that even though Mike and Mickey are singing the lead in unison and not in harmony, it's still fairly easy to pick out each of their voices. Now here was where I was going to introduce my very special guest, Jason Bourgeois, to rescue me from falling further into my own theories and fact-finding missions. However, technology had other plans, and the first 20 minutes of our conversation vanished into the ether, never to be found. However, I'm going to try to remember what was said in those first 20 minutes, and then we'll pick up the rest of the conversation. Jason Bourgeois has been a friend of mine since the early 2000s when I met him at a gig I was playing on the Mount Holyoke College campus. He's a great singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist who has led such bands as Bourgeois Heroes, The Novels, and Beach Honey, as well as a duo with his equally talented partner Annie, called Jason and Annie, and most recently as a solo act under his own name. Look him up on Bandcamp, why don't ya? I've been lucky enough to play drums on some of his projects, like this one. Hey Julia from 2015's Jason Jr., which can be found on Bandcamp. And in turn, Jason played bass and keyboard in my solo project, Sitting Next to Brian, and can be heard on my albums The Cobbler and The Wrong Tree. Camp. 
Jason and I have shared several profound monkeys and Nez-related experiences over the last dozen years, and that's how the missing part of this conversation started. So, I'll try to recreate it, and uh, pretty sure we went sort of chronologically. In early 2012, shortly after Davy Jones died, Jason hosted a screening of the monkeys movie Head at the old Flywheel Art Space in East Hampton, Massachusetts. For this event, he asked me to write something to introduce the film, and I'm pretty sure my intro went on for about 20 to 25 minutes, which was far longer than I'd been asked to speak. I know I still have the file somewhere, but I'm kind of afraid to revisit it. I just remember a guy telling me afterwards, Your intro was way better than that friggin' movie. (laughs) I also remember that the night ended with a mass sing-along of Daydream Believer as a tribute to Davey, with Jason singing the verses, and friend of questions but no answers, Ken Meary on piano. And to uh, uh, mention Ken again uh, on that Hey Julia song that we just heard by Jason, that was Ken on the uh, harpsichord and uh, mellotron sounds. Next, on December 30th, 2012, I hosted an event called Nez 70 at a club in Northampton, Mass., to celebrate Nez's 70th birthday. I'd put out a call maybe a month or maybe six weeks at the most uh, before, and about 15 bands and solo artists rose to the occasion. It was an amazing, amazing night. A packed house and folks as far as from Boston and New York City came to see it. In recounting that night, Jason recalled that this was the first time he had sung in public with his now wife, Annie. And here's a bit of that. And uh, once again, that's Ken Murray playing clarinet and me doing my best Earl Palmer doing his best Baby Dodds on drums. moly that was a fun night um not very well rehearsed you know but um there was a spirit that counted and everybody was so happy and so into it then we backtracked four weeks to december 1st 2012 when jason and i drove four hours with my older sister to huntington new york on long island to see the monkeys with michael nesmith this was a dream come true It was almost my 40th birthday, and I was in a celebratory mood, so my memory of this show is happy, but hazy. 
We met up with my old friends and first true monkey freaks that I had ever befriended back in the early 90s. Joe Man, who you might remember from the short-lived Where's That Sound Coming From spin-off Freaking Out in the Afternoon, which did two episodes in the summer of 2022. And Dan Morrissey, who is an acclaimed New York City-based music journalist. We were all just barely keeping our shit together. Jason and I recounted how insanely perfect it all was, especially the headquarters mini-set, with Mickey, Peter, and Mike sounding just as garagey as they did in 1967, and the Nesmith-Dolan's vocal blend sending chills up all of our spines. Now, the reason we traveled all that way was that we were positive that Nez would abandon the tour after like 10 dates and go back to his semi-reclusive life in Northern California. Boy, were we wrong. Anyway, fast forward uh, seven months or so, and that summer we saw that the Monkees would be playing in Boston on July 16th at the City Performing Arts Center, to be exact. Jason and I got pretty sweet tickets. At some point that day, a mutual friend and fellow music geek, whom we both have lost touch with, so uh, I won't mention her name, had asked for a ride to the show, so we picked her up on the way. During the 90-minute drive, she announced from the back seat, Andrew says to let him know when we're approaching the building and he'll meet us at the back door and let us in. What? Who? Who? Andrew? Jason and I asked. Andrew Sandoval, she replied. You know Andrew Sandoval? We asked. Yeah, we have some friends in common, and so when I was in California last year, we all hung out and we've kept in touch ever since. Uh, um, okay... Jason and I replied, not sure what all this entailed. I mean, we knew well who Andrew Sandoval was, of course, but what exactly was in store for us when we got to the venue? We parked, stepped out into the 95-degree July late afternoon, and before we knew it, we were adjusting to the dark, air-conditioned inside of the theater. And this is where we'll pick up the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, for real this time... From his home in Queens, New York, Jason Bourgeois. So we arrive at the venue. Our friend has arranged for Andrew to meet us outside. We approach. We see Andrew. He leads us through the back door. It's a thousand degrees outside and so bright. And suddenly we're in the dark, air-conditioned inside of the theater. I think he might have said, you want to see where your seats are first. And we did have good seats. And then he leads us into the green room. And what do we see, Jason? We see, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that I heard okay. pretty, er, pretty early on um, when we were there. It was one of our, you know, one of the heroes of this story, uh, Mickey Dolenz. He's wearing what kind of looked to me like um, wasn't his show outfit. But he kind of had like kind of a safari sort of wardrobe on. Yeah. Just the to be, you know. The vest. Yeah. The vest and the hat. Yeah. And a big hat and stuff. And he said, uh, <laughs> he goes something like, um, hey, has anybody tried these lobster rolls? <laughs> and he was really jazzed about them. <laughs> I remembered it as corn on the cob, but lobster rolls is way better. No, he, no, he, I mean, he might've been eating corn on the cob, but he was, 
yelling in the room to make to make sure people know how good the lobster rolls were. Yeah. <laughs> and then we look across the room, and what's what's Peter doing? A very Peter type thing. Um, and th- maybe this isn't what you're thinking of, but this is the only thing I remember was I think he was uh, someone was helping him operate an iPad. Yeah, he was yeah. he was looking very confused, and and we know that. It's very if if Monkey's TV show Peter was in 2012, he would be completely <laughs> dumb dumbfounded by an iPad. Um, but we know real life Peter was actually very smart. Yeah, the, the 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 present day monkeys they'd be they'd be on Zoom and they're all being Peter, you're on mute, you're on <laughs> mute, Peter. Right, but then, exactly. But then, but, then, but then you then you look, you get his perspective, and he's just not making any sounds. Uh, yeah so we find ourselves in the friggin monkey's green room and you know like 20 minutes before this we had no idea that any of the we just thought we were going we were psyched to be going to the show suddenly we're in the green room uh andrew is you know guiding us through the buffet line (laughs) we're freaking getting our getting our food along with like the monkey's band and crew um you know it's funny i i kind of i don't really have any real backstage pass fantasies when i was a kid i definitely did when i you know as a teenager like drawing in my notebook in history class and like thinking about stuff like that it's not it's not something i really seek out but for some reason this one in particular was very exciting to me just yeah. because of the, just because of the place this band has had on you know most of my life, mm-hmm. and just and just kind of just sheer curiosity of what what they're going to be like, you know, yeah. interact, interacting or not interacting. And it was so like there was n- kind of not a trace of any sort of like rock star entitlement or anything. Like it really just felt like you were hanging out with like. I don't know, someone from like you, you got invited to like a church outing or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And so let's see, I remember, let's see, Andrew sat down with us and even though he was our, our mutual friend was, you know, the, the connection, I might've kind of dominated the conversation or like, I might've asked him like a lot of hope, a lot of questions, um, including, so where's Nez? And he said, Oh, Nez never eats with us. He always just eats on the bus by himself. And um, of course, you know. Well, didn't he also have some family members traveling with him too? Like, didn't he have his kind of own little posse? Well, yeah, like Christian and... His daughter was there too. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that was that was one encounter that was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. You know, this uh, cute uh, brunette stops by the table and says, Andrew are you going to introduce me to your friends? And he's like, oh, yeah, this is Jessica Nesmith, Michael's daughter. And um, she's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And I don't know if she just must have assumed like if like we must have been somebody, <laughs> you know, or maybe she was just really sweet and nice. Um, I think she was in charge of merch. Like, she might have thought we were somebody because I feel like you and I had ties on. Oh, we probably did get dressed up for it. Yeah, yeah. So they they probably thought we, uh, you know, we were either musicians because we were, you know, I think we had kind of psychedelic 
wear on, you know, not, I mean, not over the top, but like, you know, groovy wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so out of that, we were like, you know, psychedelic accountants. <laughs> right. Well, totally. well, it was either we were musician friends or, yeah. yeah. Some kinda... I don't know. I always feel like I get a little too chummy and, and cross a line with whenever I have an interaction with Andrew. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the buffet line, I remember asking, like, so is there going to be like a party afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, this is not that kind of chore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I had I had to do it. So, I, I mean, I'd imagine a lot of the, uh, what do they call them, heritage acts? Mm-hmm. I, bet, I bet there's not a lot of partying. I think, I mean, I think Mickey enjoyed probably cocktails at the hotel bar until one in the morning. Sure. But, um, he but is yeah. one of the Hollywood vampires. <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> and I think Davey, in his day, like liked to party with his Budweiser beers. And let's see. Oh, this was weird. The drummer, Rich Dart, uh, comes up to me and says, oh, you know my friend Max. We used to be in a band together. And you're in um, you're in the Fonz and uh, Gentle Hen with him. And I was like, like, how do you know more about me than I know about you, you know? But I guess, um, you know, through the, so I, I probably said something on Facebook like, hey, I'm going to go see the monkeys. Um and Max, who is, uh, this is Max Germer, a uh, great bass player, good friend. Um, he probably texted Rich and said, oh, my friends are coming to see you play. Uh, keep an eye out for them. And he probably wasn't expecting me to suddenly be backstage. Yeah, so that was weird. To- and Max said, you know, look out for two, for two psychedelic bail bondsmen. <laughs> exactly. So the guy went, Brian? Right. <laughs> well, one thing, I, another thing I remember from the show, this is kind of silly, but we were going from one thing, we, we like went in somewhere and then we went out somewhere else, I think. And there are all these people like trying to get um, autographs. Oh, yeah. And they're like, can you give this to, you know, like, what are we going to, what are we going to do? I forget, mm-hmm. but but people, I think people noticed us go in and they thought, like, we don't, we don't, I didn't talk oh, to Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Even when we were walking in, I think, like, someone, like, tried to hand us something to, like, get signed just because we happened to be going in the back door. And that uh, might have also been the show where this other woman who I knew from, like, various Facebook things who lived in Boston and who had gone to the Nesmith 70 thing that I put on the previous December, uh-huh. um, she had gone to a solo Nez show, maybe the movies of the mind or whatever, and brought the poster for this could have been your face, motherfucker, which was what I called the show. And um, she she got Nez's autograph for me, you know? Yeah, and that's so cool. I'm pretty sure she gave it to me at that. Well, <laughs> I was I was thinking that the, um, the Nez 70s show is most likely the first time uh, my wife and I played music together on stage. Nice. You did Mag- Magnolia Sims, right? We did. And I remember we were just starting to play together. And I think when we had some of our own things cooking, but then this this came up and then we you know jumped on that. And uh, I, I think that might have been the first time. But, but again, I, I could be off. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And there's a recording of it too. It's not a soundboard, but it's uh, not bad room recording. Anyway, so fast forward uh, 10 years and 3,000 miles. And um, you're the, you and your then fiance living in Southern California, the final tour, the final show of Mickey and Mike. And we all knew that Nez was not doing well. I had kind of um, disengaged from that whole scene, like when kind of before the pandemic, you know, I had some, some own, my own stormy things going on in my life and, um, and sort of being shut out of the whole Nesmith thing was a bummer. And I just kind of turned that fandom. It, it was very dim, you know, I didn't, it didn't feel alive to me. However, um, it felt important to fly out to see that show, you know, and also to, yeah, and, and, I, and to see you guys, you know, and it was uh, getting to be cold in new England and what a great time to fly out. Yeah. And in all honesty, you know, through the stories that you had told me, um, that I know you, you don't want to really share too much of, but it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth as well. And I, I just didn't, I wasn't really listening to that stuff. Mm-hmm. either just kind of was just it felt dirty <laughs> right but, but yeah again i saw that show pop up i thought it's at the uh the greek theater probably they're billing it as the last the last gig even though they had put something else on their calendar like a cruise or something but oh right <laughs> but yeah. which never happened which never happened thank uh, god but, it's like let's schedule a cruise during a pandemic yeah <laughs> totally um, but yeah, I just felt, well, yeah, we, we should probably go to this mm-hmm. and I'm really glad you made it. I'm glad we all went. It was remarkable. Then I didn't want to listen to them after that show either because it just, uh, it like was, after- it was, he- it was heavy. It was a heavy one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After he passed, it was like, I don't know how to enjoy this music anymore. You know, you know, not until, I mean, I explained it during kind of during the intro, the, the introductory episode. But it just sort of at some point this summer, just some song I really felt like listening to. Then I felt like, you know, making a playlist and the playlist just kept growing. And then I had the idea for the podcast and then it all just came roaring back, but in a new phase, you know, like my whole thing with uh, not that I regret sort of being inside the bubble for a short, a brief time, but, um, but what it was like, you know what? I liked just being a fan better. You know, because then I, I could say what I want, you know, um, suddenly when he was my boss, um, it was like, oh, you know, I can't make a goofy joke, you know, or like, I don't want to offend him or whatever. Um, and I'm not saying like, now he's gone, I can say whatever the fuck. But, you know, because obviously I'm doing this out of love. In some ways, I miss the fact that, you know, he's not around to um, appreciate this, but or maybe he is. He's infinite after all, but, uh, yeah, maybe you can even, you could somehow book him, uh, <laughs> down the road. <laughs> but, <laughs> what, what, what's that guy like James, um, who that like, like celebrity psychic. Oh, um, I don't know. He, he like goes on like Oprah and stuff. And... Right now we got a special treat for you here on news. Now we got world renowned medium, James Van Prague. Thank you so much <laughs> for being you. here. Thank you for having me. I yes, appreciate it. Awesome. So uh, you're uh, in the Valley tonight at the celebrity theater, Celebrity theater, delivering and... messages from dead people. Right. <laughs> and what tell I do. Me, what's that like to connect? But anyway, back to that show, um, you know, he was obviously, and had been 
um, I feel like a lot of people were turning a blind eye, but um, especially after his heart episode, there was this increasing lack of like rhythmical sense, you know, where like he'd come in late or come in early. Um, just things weren't really, I'm not sure what it was, you know, but, um, and then on that tour, he just wasn't playing guitar at all. And, um, you know, Mickey kind of had to cue him at a few points, but like I said, and like you referred to earlier, his voice was still great, you know? Yes. That was, um, it was really, it was really moving and, and, uh, he was physically very frail and I think it was probably a burden for him to stand yeah. So he would he would be escorted off stage if he wasn't singing the song. Mm-hmm. But then he would open his mouth and you know he he, he just still still had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some really incredible moments um, from that. Yeah, and, and gosh, like uh, what a way to go out. Like the great thing was that it was in L.A. You know, like thank God his his last show wasn't like in. Jacksonville, Florida, or something, or or they, or they went back. They decided, like you know, you, Mike, you didn't play that show in uh, Rhode Island with us. We we really want you to experience that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you'll I think you'll have a good time. We'll buy you some chips, <laughs> some oh, poker boy. chips, and then we went to Cantor's, right? Yeah, which yeah. was awesome. So, any other shared um, memories that I'm missing that, that you wanted to mention? Gosh, I mean, we we probably could go into some more stuff and and things like songs that we we oh. played and but but you know I think we covered a lot of ground here. Yeah, maybe if maybe if I come back sometime we could do round two. Right. <laughs> but I know what you mean though because if if like well for instance uh, all the king's horses. <laughs> demo version um i i heard that for the first time for for this show and the thing that you notice right away is the rhythm is a huge downgrade from hearing how blaine oh yeah it's it it's it's immense but you you couldn't you wouldn't you know that's unfair to you know most musicians but the whole the whole swing um of that song like I don't know if you call it a swing, but when it like he starts getting on that um, ride symbol, mm-hmm. it's like, like during the verse. I was yes. this morning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that's not really there on the demo. The demo is cool. It's it's like a really good garage band, but the, like rhythmically, it, it's it's a little questionable. That drummer is weird. Um, like I, I was saying, because that's that's that same guy, Bill Sleeper. Uh, the demo is Mike, John, and Bill. I'm pretty sure. Um, and Bill Sleeper, the same guy that played on How Can You Kiss Me, and who had that weird, you know, uh, and like I said, like, the weird thing is that there's, you know, this rock drummer in 1965 who seems completely untouched by, like, Ringo or, you know, or, or, or anything else that, that was sort of you know, or like Motown, even like he's it's it's good, but it's it's different. Like it's like he had a whole different background, and then um, you know was told play rock and roll, but 
it's like his his strange mutant version of rock and roll um you know however they did keep his i I mean maybe it was probably mike's idea and that's why it's the same on both versions but um the military and entry uh, intro with himself mm-hmm. in a couple spots and some of those were a little bit similar to certain parts it's a weird low harmony it's like it's like the it's one of those things where like he's like <laughs> following the following the bass line or something mm-hmm. um and it's just acoustic guitar yeah you know like i said um it's just so weird that when you hear that song on the monkeys episode like i just assumed like oh he was probably oh you're gonna have an episode with a horse in it like here's a perfect song for that or mike be a team player write a song about a horse you know um because <laughs> <laughs> we got an episode with a horse coming up also you know his whole thing of like they wanted me to write pop and i just pop is not my thing but it's like if that song is not like it's almost like bubble gummy you know because it's like um it's a nursery rhyme uh the the lyrics are just kind of kind of bubble gummy you know it's like uh you know my girl my girl left me. Da 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 da. The but, twist. Of, the twist about leaving for a guy with money is 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 silly because there's nothing else in the song that really. She's gonna find. Elusive. Right. This person even being that bad of a person. 
she just mm-hmm. left and then it's like oh she's out, she's out for money and then uh <laughs> but do, do you know uh do you know uh i can think of a precedent to that she wants a man with lots of money so oh man. yeah yeah sure the, the everly, everly brothers exactly yeah yeah um yeah the, and then the who, the, the who covered that too yeah the great version um mm-hmm. She wants a man with lots of money. Not a boy. The other, uh, the other thing lyrically, um, I think is is cool is, uh, you know, he ends one line, and, and this is what I found, right? And then follows up with, "You would have gone and left me," and he never even made a farewell sound because he probably originally had something like, "You didn't even say goodbye." Right, you didn't even say you left without saying goodbye, and then it's like, well, that doesn't rhyme with with found, you know. And then, who who thinks of farewell sound? Yeah, or or like even even if you want to use the word farewell, you didn't even say farewell. No, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It's like farewell sound. Yeah, it's like maybe I should just rewrite the whole verse, and it could be it could be it could be like one of three things. It could be laziness. It could be shoehorning. What? Like just shoehorning? Like oh, shoe what, horn, what, yeah. what rhymes? What rhymes with found? And then it, sound was already had. Yeah. You know? Or it's just just like a you know using your mind to just look at something simple in a kind of different angle. Mm-hmm. One big difference is the demo. There's a couple of kind of more uh, you know pre um, feral Nez touches where he says uh, she can live without you, son. Um, and there, and there's another one too. Um, oh, but when you find out little woman, I won't be around to share with you. And Kirshner probably had him no little woman and no son. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that's too Texas. Let's clean it up. Nesmith. Right. This is Hollywood. Damn it. A big theme of your first episode, episode one proper, uh, the guy, <laughs> The guy like gets a guitar, like gets a guitar when he's 19. Yeah. He learned, he learns a few chords and then just like, well, I'm going to go to the studio, you know, like right. it's, it's just, it's just instant. And, and there are people that I think, and, 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 and I'm going to sell my songs. Like yes. I've written, I've written five songs, but I think they're good enough to sell. Well, I mastered that. Now I'm going to Hollywood. I guess he just sort of had this attitude of like, like no one's going to stop me. You know, it's it was probably just kind of dumb, innocent courage. You know, just amb- like blind ambition. And um, I'm gonna guess that that is sort of what rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Like once he was in Hollywood, uh, surrounded by a million other young geniuses. Um, he probably had this attitude like, oh, I've mastered the studio. I'm a great songwriter and I'm the shit, you know? And and then you meet, you know, Neil Young and Stephen Stills. And then you meet, you know, John Phillips. And then you meet um, Roger McGuinn. And it's like, oh, yeah. Maybe you guys are kind of better guitar players. And, you know, you also write really good songs. And, um, and, uh, Whereas in San Antonio, he probably stood out, you know, as like, look at this guy. He came out of nowhere. He's great. Well, what's the opposite of fake it till you make it? I mean, he kind of like, 
it seems like he, the way the way he bulldozed through all this stuff, it it doesn't feel to me like oh I don't know if I'm any good. Like I'm just gonna put myself out there. He's just kind of like listen up. It's got that kind of a thing to it. Right. Know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, totally. I mean, I think his guitar playing. I love his guitar playing. Yeah, I think it's. I think it does show um, those. You know, the um, we fast forwarding a bunch of years to um, and the hits just keep on coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, just him and you know he's he's just laying down the rhythm, but it's just very very good rhythm playing and very yeah. com- very confident to hold it all together like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people, and I, I'm. I think I'm kind of speaking for myself. There's people that, you know, they, they're in their bedroom and they're like trying to learn riffs and scales and stuff like that, which I have friends like that. And then, but I was always like, I wanted to like sing songs and write songs. So Mm -hmm. I think that like, I want, I wanted to learn how to play guitar to do that. And then you can get to a point where, you know, I can play anything that I'm going to write. And I could, you know, if I if I stumble upon some hard chord, I'll figure out how to play it and get it in. But I'm I, I'm like I'm not trying to learn how to be Jeff Beck. No, I mean I and I, I love that kind of stuff, but I just have no interest in in playing it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I I just will call someone to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so totally. I think he he might be from that school where he he needed it. Because he was you know, going down to the troubadour, he needed to be good enough to be on his own, mm-hmm. which is an, e- an easy thing. But then I think once he figured that out, he probably wasn't sitting around like trying to learn stuff. Right. Yeah. Totally. Like he was. Yeah. He's probably just like I have songs in my head, and and that I mean, and that's how I write songs too. It's like like there's a song in my head that's, and I just need to figure out what the chords are behind it. Um, and if like, and if there's a little riff that goes along with it, then I'll learn how to play that riff or whatever. But, um, but yeah, the point of my songs is never like get to the guitar solo. So any other thoughts on all the King's horses? Gosh. Um, yeah, you know, again, it's like a a real bummer that they wouldn't have thought to put this on the first, first, or maybe even second album. Uh, yeah. Imagine being a fan back then. And you saw that episode, and like, oh, that's a cool song. Can't wait to, because you assume it's the, yeah. the show. The show is a vehicle for you to like go get the album, mm-hmm. and vice and vice versa. But yeah, to not include that is strange. And maybe they just thought, oh, we have enough mic tunes for this, and then yeah, I think maybe, it was only, and he wasn't maybe interested in it after the first album. He might have thought, well, among other things, yeah, right. Wait, so you guys hear Tapioca Tundra. <laughs> <laughs> He time travels from a few years earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly he's got the shades on and yeah. Um, But yeah, I think it's a, it's an early composition, but it's a good, good melody, good, good, good tune, good arrangement. Mm -hmm. Um, You you know what? Um, Actually earlier I was uh, recording a little, um, Thing for instagram i haven't posted it yet but it was just like a, a preview of this and um i didn't i just kind of teased teased it at the end and so i just did the um the uh you know 
And um, and I thought, oh, he was a uh, he was a Kinks fan. And I don't I don't know the timing, but you know, like uh, oh sure. He probably just yeah he probably did that and then he just added a little more playing to it yeah or maybe it's just hey ten billion people put those chords together <laughs> yeah all right well um, I think we got everything so what I did yesterday I'm gonna stop recording okay and that's all we got for episode three of questions but no answers. Uh, all the king's horses and it was kind of a horseshoe shaped uh, show in that uh, sort of the beginning was about all the king's horses the end was about all the king's horses but then there was this crazy journey around the U and uh, but that was fun it was a freewheeling uh, conversation with a friend and knowledgeable guy yeah it was great to you know uh, just have a little bit of the script, but otherwise go way off script and see where the conversation took us. And I hope you enjoyed that. And I look forward to having more guests. And I've, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm starting the process of uh, booking some more. Uh, Jason was a good first one since he's uh, an old friend, and um, I figured it would be more kind of forgiving and get me into that type of groove. So we will see you next time in three weeks or so. Um, I'm not sure what the next one is. I think, well, you know, you can probably guess. If you guess three songs, I bet one of them is correct because we're going chronologically um, and we are still in 1966 at the beginning of Monkey's era. So uh, let's see, you can... Get in touch with me at where's that sound coming from at gmail.com or through the Podomatic page or through the Facebook page or through the new Instagram page. If you go to Instagram and look up uh, questions but no answers pod, um, you'll find me. Oh, the Facebook page is the old where's that sound coming from um, podcast page. And uh, I think that's all for now. Uh, thanks again to Jason Bourgeois. Maybe we'll hear from him on a later episode. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a guest on the next episode, but um, there's a lot to say about uh, the next song. All right, be good. Uh, I hope you're getting through winter okay. And uh, see you soon. Bye-bye. All right, so now we're recording. Okay. And so this is me talking. And here I am. And there's Talking you as well. Da, 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 da. All the King's horses. Seen. Yeah. And um, questions and, and we, no and answers. I we, and I think we got it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <Post>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I will stop.